Well, good evening, Christ Church. I'm so glad to be with you, not present, not in person, but over this simulcast. And for those of you who are watching it later, we're so thankful that you're joining us. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to get to be with you. I, uh, the topic I've been given is the topic of service. Now, I, I hope that's something that you guys have been thinking about. I know it's something that we at Urban Impact have been thinking about a lot in this season because uh, our, our form of service has really changed because, uh, we, and we've been given a new invigoration for acts of service because a lot of our families come from single-parent homes. They um, rely on public transportation, and so it's difficult in this time to get around as, we're, as many of us are being quarantined in our house. Difficult for them to get around as they're being quarantined in their houses. And so we've been, our ministry has changed to being one that's responding to that call, that's meeting people um, in their homes, getting food to them and those sorts of things. And so because of that, service has been on my mind a lot. But I know it's also been on the minds of, of, of the staff here at Christ Church. And one of the things that has gotten me so excited that I am a member of this church is the fact that, that this church has formed a task force to serve our community during this time of crisis. And that's one of the things I, I, I love uh, that, our, our, that Pastor Craig has decided to lead the charge on this, that has recruited lots of, of the lay people to join forces as we serve those who need help. Um, it, it, it's really exciting. It's something, another thing, that, uh, another thing that we've had for a very long time is our Good Samaritan Fund, which helps um, those members uh, of our church who are in crisis at one time or another. And so this church has a long-standing history of caring for the members of our congregation, the serving one another. And this is something that, that Jesus was passionate about, passionate about and so passionate about it that I'm going to dedicate all of my message to talking about Christians serving Christians, talking about Jesus' passion for Christians serving Christians, for the church serving the church. But before we get into that, let's, let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you'd be with me as I speak. I ask that you'd forgive me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that as I preach, um, we wouldn't be stirred, but that we'd be changed. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Our passage that we're going to look at is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. But before I get into that passage, I want to quickly talk about the context of that passage. Right before Jesus uh, speaks these words and he gives us a new commandment, a new commandment to love one another, right before he does that, he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. Right after he gives us this new command... He talks about going to prepare a place for us. He talks about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. He, he gives that famous um, proclamation that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. He also talks about um, how he is, the, he is the vine and we are the branches, and apart from him we can do nothing. So to put our faith in him and to abide in his spirit so that he will abide in us. And then he preaches that, that high priestly prayer over his church before he departs. So from the time that he, he, he washes the disciples' feet all the way through this thing that I would call his last will and testament, last will and testament, this, he inaugurates um, the Last Supper, he says all of these words talking about life after his ascension, 
from the, from the time he washes his disciples' feet to his, to his ascension, he's talking to his disciples and he's helping them think about what life is going to be like when he's gone physically. He'll be with them spiritually, but they will be the physical leaders of the church when he leaves. And right in the middle of talking about what he wants them to do and who he wants them to be like when he leaves, he gives them this new command. And let's read it together. It's, uh, he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you so are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'll say it one more time. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You so are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, I think that this is a passage, I'll I'll just speak from my own experience. This is a passage that I glossed over for years. I just sort of thought that this was Jesus' reiteration of the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I had been a disciple, listening to Jesus say say this, I I might, because I can be a little overzealous, I might have said this to our Lord. I might have said, you know, Jesus, I really like what you're saying. I think this is really powerful. This is powerful stuff, this whole loving one another. But if I'm being totally transparent, Lord, you did say this about a year ago. Do you remember that, uh, that teacher of the law, he came to you and he said, you know, uh, which is the greatest commandment? And you said, very aptly, by the way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your heart mind, soul, and strength, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5. And then you said that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, quoting uh, Leviticus 19.18. And, so, and you put those two passages saying, Um, that the second is like the first. I love the theology there. That's really good, Jesus. And then you told that moving story about the good Samaritan. And Lord, it cut me to the heart. I just, I loved it. But but if I'm being totally transparent, Father, or uh, if if I'm being totally transparent, Jesus, You've said this before. And so while I am, when, when we all get together and we write the New Testament, we're definitely going to include this whole uh, love, love one another section. And, and, we're, and love is going to define this community. Trust me, Jesus. But we're going to just omit this, this, this thing you said about it being a new commandment because if we're just being honest, you did say this before. And when you did, you were quoting the Old Testament. So this is, this is more of a larger theme uh, that God has been, has been pushing since he inaugurated his people in Israel. Now, hopefully, Jesus would have been patient with me. And, and to be honest, I, I, I'm being silly. But for most of my life, that is kind of what I thought. I, I wasn't saying I was disagreeing with the Lord. But I, when I read this passage, I just thought, great, we're to love one another, moving on. But an organization called Be United in Christ... Uh, gave me an exegetical guide on this very passage that really changed the way that I look at it. And so, Jesus means exactly what he's saying in this passage. And we can see that if we take a, a hard look at the words, the syntax that he's using. So let's, let's look at this passage closely, and let's look at the words that Jesus is saying. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Notice he doesn't say neighbor, that you love your neighbor. That would have given him continuity with the things he said in the past and the things he said in the Old Testament. Notice he also doesn't say that you love everyone or that you love all people. 
Now, there's Greek words for that, and we know that because later in the passage, he's going to say that you love one another just as I have loved you, and by this, all people. Uh, the word is pantes, which comes from the Greek word pas, which means all or every. And so the Greek has words for all people, but Jesus doesn't use that. In fact, he uses alelos, which is the word another, three times in this passage because he's trying to emphasize that this is not a love that you are to give to all people. Who is the another in this passage? It is the disciples. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, that you love each other, that disciple loves disciple. And how are we to love? As we love ourselves? No, that's not what Jesus says. That, that uh, we are to love other people as we love ourselves. We are to do unto others as we would like to be done by. That is a, that is a love of justice. That's a love of fair play. That, that Christians are to give to all people. But when we're loving one another, there is a special love that we are to have. And it is this. We are to love one another as Jesus loved us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Now that's powerful. And that is a new commandment. As I think about the commandment that Jesus gave us, it actually makes sense in terms of Jesus' larger ministry. This is sort of the culmination of what Jesus has been doing for his disciples for the last three plus years that he's been with them. You see, if you're looking really closely at the New Testament, you'll notice that when Jesus is telling, uh, there's a time where Jesus tells parables and his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, you keep telling all these parables, but you're only explaining it to us. Why? And Jesus makes it very clear. It's because these parables aren't really for them, at least not yet. They are for you, and you're going to disseminate these into the world. The keys of the kingdom are being given to you. So when Jesus is teaching, he always has his disciples in focus. And you'll notice that when Jesus is doing miracles, when he is performing miracles among the disciples, he's, he often has a didactic purpose for doing it. He, there is a teaching component to all of his miracles, or at least most of his miracles. There's a few that I'm not entirely sure what he's teaching, but for the vast majority, I'd probably say about 90%, Jesus is trying to teach his, his disciples something like the fact that he's the son of God, the fact that he's the son of man, the fact that he is Lord of the Sabbath and what the Sabbath is for, the fact that he is opening up salvation history to the Gentiles, the fact that all foods are clean, that he's changing the law. All of these things are focal points in his miraculous ministry. Not to mention, Jesus goes on dozens of trips in his ministry. And who does he take? His disciples. On the Mount of Transfiguration, who's there? The disciples. When he, when he ascends into heaven, who is there? The disciples. Most of Jesus' resurrection appearances are to who? Not the lost. The disciples. Why? Because when Jesus is doing his ministry, he is focusing on his few. He is focusing on those who are asking and seeking and knocking. This community that he has inaugurated, he is constantly caring for them, and he is loving them with a special love that is, that is specifically for them. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, love one another even as I have loved you, 
he is, he, is, he is giving a mandate for them to live out the example that he's lived all the time he's been with them. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, there's one principle that I want us to think about, which is this. That when we are serving, our first priority has to be to one another. That when we are serving in the church, our first priority is to one another. Not that we don't think about the world. I, I work in an outreach ministry. The vast majority of the, of the service that I'm doing is, to, is outside the church. But when, we are, but when we are serving, even within an urban impact, the people that we're, in spend, that we're spending the vast majority of our time with are the people who, in the midst of that outreach, raise their hand and say, I want to follow Jesus, and we start, spend, we start taking great pains and spending a tremendous amount of time with those ones because they're the ones asking and seeking and knocking. I'm, in, I'm an evangelical, and I absolutely love that word. I, think that it, I still think it's a powerful word for us to use. But one thing that we sometimes can struggle with in, in the evangelical world is caring for the believers. We're so outward focused that sometimes we don't do a great job of, of caring for one another inwards. That's, that's one of the reasons that I love Christ Church, because Christ Church is actively seeking to serve, to have the, the people of, in this body serving one another. Because Jesus said it is by that activity that the rest of the world will know that we are his disciples. So what does this look like practically? There's a story that's told um, of three Vietnam veterans uh, who they, they, they all went over to Vietnam together and they made a promise. They promised that if they made it through the war, that when they got back, they would look out for one another. Now they experienced hunger they experienced uh, disease, they experienced uh, combat altogether, and it built a bond of trust that was powerful between them, and all of them survived the war. So when they came back to the States, one of them went and worked for 84 Lumber, one of them worked for Ryan Homes, and another one for Coca-Cola. Now, as they were working in their different spheres, they always had one eye to their brothers to see what they are doing, and they they went out of their way to find ways that they could partner together so that, their, so that their businesses could work together and so that each one would succeed on the back of the other ones. So the guy from Coke saying, can I sell Coke in your stores? Would that, how, could, how would that bless you? The guy from Ryan Homes is going to the guy from 84 Lumber saying, can we, you, can, 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 I want to give you my business. The guy from 84 Lumber saying, I want to give you my business, and I want to make sure that it works for you. And they knew that they could trust one another because of this bond that they had formed when they were in the military together. Now, brothers and sisters, we also have a bond a bond that, if you can believe it, is stronger and even more important than the one those men had. Our bond is, comes from the blood of Jesus Christ. We are bonded together by his body and blood. We are brothers and sisters in the community that God himself inaugurated. And so we have a tremendous opportunity to work with one another. Now, we want to do it wisely. We want to do it thinking, not, not to say every time Christians come together, they need to partner. That's not what I'm saying. And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying that we can't 
continue to work with and for and to serve the world, but we give special preference to those people that we have a bond with, that we, that we look to serve our own, because that is what our master did, both by example and precept, that we are to love one another even as he loved us. And I want to share something that a, a historian, a non-Christian historian named E.R. Dodd, he was, um, he was writing to, to try to figure out why in the first three centuries of Christianity, why did it spread the way it did? Because Christianity, after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, rather than falling apart, it exploded. And he was trying to figure out why this happened. And he, and he came to the conclusion that the number one reason why Christianity exploded in the first, second, and third centuries was because of their unity and their love for one another. Their unity and their love for one another. This is a non-Christian studying Christians. And he came to the conclusion that the two things that Jesus said he wanted us to be, that he wanted us to be defined by, by our unity, which is his high priestly prayer, and our love for one another, which is, our new com- which is his new commandment, That is the very reason we exploded. The greatest witness that we can give the world is the way that we love one another. The greatest witness that we can give the world is to serve like our master served. And so we're not being exclusive when we say we're going to love one another in this deep way. No, we're, we're doing it so that the world can see what God has done in us and come and be a part of it. Tertullian, who was a Christian historian, during the second and third century, he, he said that when pagans would come to know the Lord, they would often say things like this. He, they would say, see how they love one another, how even they are willing to die for one another. And they would say this after watching Christian martyrs and the way that they died for one another and saying, I, I, I want to be like this person, even as they die, in a brutal way. John the Apostle who, uh, for whom this, uh, our, the gospel is named, uh, the gospel that we're studying, the gospel of John. At the end of his life, uh, he was so um, brittle that he, he couldn't really hardly move. And so they would have to carry him into assemblies so that he could speak to the Christians. And when he would be carried into the assembly, he would say uh, this phrase over and over and over again. Children, love one another. Children, love one another. One of his disciples, after hearing him say this many, many times on many, many occasions, went to John and said, Master, why do you always say this? And John said, it is the Lord's command, and if it is all that is done, it is enough. It is the Lord's command. And if it is all that is done, it is enough. As we are faced in uncertain times, let's continue to band together. Let's band together as a church and serve one another so that even no matter what happens in this world and no matter what direction it takes, both during this crisis and once it's over, that we would know that we have a home together 
and that we would love one another, even as Christ loved us. For by this all people will know that we are his disciples. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would love each other as you loved us. And I pray, Father, that that would be a tremendous comfort to all of us. And I pray, Lord, that it it would draw people to yourself. But most of all, Lord, I pray... Lord, I pray that we would be one as you and the Father were one. That we would be one in mind, we would be one in calling, we would be one in spirit, we would be one in service. And I pray, Father, that all of us would be united together, looking for ways that we can partner together because of what you have done by the example that you made and the precepts that you've given and that we would flourish in this world because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.